This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and that is me. And this week we had some news, so we're going to talk about that news. That news, of course, is Microsoft, led by CEO Satya Nadella, and their plan to spend $70 billion, give or take a billion dollars, to buy Activision Blizzard if this deal goes through. And there are questions about that, which we're going to talk about. If this deal goes through, it will be Microsoft's biggest acquisition in its history. That is a big, big deal. Such a big deal that we're having two different guests come on to talk about it. Ina Freed is my old colleague from All Things Digital and Recode, and now she works at Axios, where she writes the Axios login newsletter, and she's been covering Microsoft forever. We also talked to Chris Grant, who works with me at Vox Media. He's an SVP here. It's a fancy title, but I think of Chris as the guy who knows the most about video games. Whenever I have a question, I go ask him. He founded Polygon, our video game site, and ran it until, well, not that recently, but he knows his stuff. You'll hear. There's a lot to talk about here. So rather than me talking at you, let's hear me talking to Ina Freed. I'm talking with my old colleague, Ina Freed, who used to work with me at All Things Digital and then Recode. She is a professional Microsoft watcher, and now she works at Axios. Welcome, Ina. Hey, Peter. Thanks for coming on. There's some news in, in Microsoft world. We should talk about it. Remember when Remember when um, Microsoft was going to buy Yahoo? And that stretched yeah. on for years, and it seemed like years, and it was a really big deal. It was like $44 billion. Yeah, there's a lot of people <laughs> that are happy that deal never went through on the Microsoft side. Are people going to regret the $79 billion Microsoft Activision Blizzard deal? You know, I think they're getting some hard assets here. With Yahoo, it was always you know sort of unclear, what are you getting? Is this the doorway into finally turning a profit in the internet or was it just more money down the drain and i i think it would have been the latter you know with this i think they're getting definite gaming assets for their mm -hmm. xbox business so there's a floor in terms of you know they're certainly going to get most of their money's worth they may have overpaid a little um you know, I think the question is, do they get more than that? Does this help open any doors? Um, you know, the metaverse is everyone's talking point. I'm not convinced how metaverse. Yeah, we could we could talk about metaverse and and some some question marks in a minute. But first, just just in case people who aren't paying attention to Microsoft every day and and still think of it as Microsoft Word and Clippy uh, and Excel, tell tell us about the company today and how it has changed, you know, from Bill Gates to Satya Nadella. I don't need the entire 20 year history, but it, <laughs> it is radically sort of pivoted itself. So what is Microsoft today, at least prior to the Activision deal? Yeah, it really has shifted a ton. As you point out, you know, it's not Bill Gates's company. Um, Satya made a bunch of changes, some of which were underway, and he just sort of put a more hard stop on it. But, you know, most of Microsoft is services and subscription software that big businesses pay for. Satya really sort of focused the company there and took a lot of energy out of most everything else. Gaming is actually the odd exception. So you have the big business software business. You have Windows, which is not as big as it was, but is still significant. And I assume a cash cow, right? Because it's people are still renewing their Microsoft Word subscription. They don't really think about it. Uh, I'm sure they spend money developing it, but you don't have to recreate the wheel every time out. It's still Microsoft Word. Yeah, I mean, the business side is humming. And in part, you know, and I remember Steve Ballmer saying this before they transitioned to a subscription model. He was like, look, if we could take what we do and make it a subscription, that would be a great business for us. And it has been for them, for Adobe, because you don't have that huge sales cycle. You know, it used to be they'd do these two or three year contracts and they'd have to spend all this energy. It was unpredictable. It was expensive. So that side of the business is humming. Windows, I think less so. You know, I think 
Um, they've got pressure from Chromebooks at the low end, Macs at the high end. You know, they still have most of the business, but they don't have some of the most dynamic parts of the business. Um, and it's still not, to me, super clear, you know, what is the future of consumer Windows? So I think that's sort of a question mark. And then they have this gaming franchise that has really grown and they have the right assets. They have the cloud piece. So they're delivering these games, not just to the Xbox, not just to the PC, but really to any device where it's being played. In right. The and that was a talking point for a while, but now it's a real thing. And they've got this game pass business, which is sort of Netflix for games. They now have 25 million subscribers that grew 7 million. Before we get to games for one second though, what I have noticed under Satya Nadella is he seems to be quite acquisitive. Um, he bought LinkedIn for like $26 billion. He has tried to buy, or at least supposedly has tried to buy Pinterest, uh, Discord. He was going to buy part of TikTok. <laughs> um, now he's going to spend $79 billion on Activision. Those are all enormous acquisitions or potential acquisitions. Um, one, are they meaningful for his business? And two, why is he trying to buy all this stuff? Is it because he thinks that there's strategic value to it? Or I've got a lot of cash. These things are at a discount. I'm going to buy it and figure out what to do with it later. I think it's a little bit of both. And a third thing, which is, you know, I think Microsoft has this subscription engine on both the consumer and the business side. It's got this powerful cloud. And really, the way to make more money is to have more things that run through it. Plug more stuff into the subscription engine. Yeah, and the cloud computing. Like, those mm -hmm. are the two most important engines in software. And, you know, there just aren't that many things that you can build on your own at scale. Um, that's why you see such a wide range of acquisitions. I mean, there isn't much in common between Discord, Pinterest, and Activision. Um, you know, I think Microsoft finds itself in the position where it still can potentially get a big deal through. And we're going to talk about, I'm sure, the antitrust implications. Um, but Microsoft is one of the few companies out there that might still be able to get a big deal through a much more skeptical regulatory environment. All of the antitrust discussion in this current wave of big tech scrutiny has um, not coincidentally, not included Microsoft. And, and that's not a coincidence. First of all, Microsoft had their well-publicized battle 20 years ago. 20 years ago? 20 years ago. Uh, the browser wars um, nearly got broken up. Um, they have been active critics of pretty much all the other big tech companies, but haven't been dragged into this. Do you, what happens now that they've said we're going to buy basically the biggest gaming company in the West um, and add it to our stack of gaming software? And also we're a really big tech company. Does this automatically ring bells in, in Washington? It rings bells. It raises questions. But I think it's going to create this very interesting philosophical debate that's going to happen within the FTC, within the DOJ and possibly regulators overseas where they have to kind of ask themselves, what is the antitrust issue we're most concerned with? So Microsoft is certainly going to play up, and they already have this idea that Apple and Google's app store monopolies are the real problem, and this is part of the answer, that this is increasing competition. Um, certainly there are going to be elements of the gaming world that say, no, this is giving Microsoft too much power. They control the biggest cloud engine. They control one of the consoles. They control all these games. Um, and it is the case that there are fewer publishers than there used to be. This used to be a very fragmented industry, and it's increasingly consolidated. You know, if you look at Activision bought most of the games, Activision bought a bunch. Sony has a huge thing. Tencent has a huge thing. So this is no longer, you know, a non-issue when it comes to competition. But I do think it will be interesting to see if this Apple and Google are the real problem argument sort of takes hold. We saw some comments from Ken Buck, who's led a big antitrust push on the Hill. Um, and he's saying, yeah, this fits in with his worldview. We didn't hear from some of the other critics of big tech on the Hill, making me think that they're still not seeing Microsoft as the big problem mm -hmm. here. And and you talk about the metaverse, and this was brought up in the, the scripted comments and the press release that, that Microsoft thinks that this is part of the way that they build their version of the metaverse. They may be sincere in that. Um, I also read it as, you know, who else is building the metaverse? Facebook. And so this is a, if, you, if you're trying to rein in Facebook's power, you want this deal to go ahead. Um, what's your take? Do you think, do you think they, they're really building the metaverse or they're just bought a games company and then you can say metaverse as well? 
I, I think if they are building a metaverse, Activision isn't the key piece of that. You know, it's things like they've got that um, goggle, the... HoloLens. HoloLens, which, you know, primarily I think the military is the biggest yeah. customer of it right now. Um, so they're certainly interested in that world and that technology. I think if that world comes to pass, the more consumer assets you have, the better. But I don't think this is a deal about the metaverse. I mean, I still think, you know, people are hard-pressed to even explain exactly what they mean. It's um, internet something something. Yeah, it's the physical internet. Well, if it's the real world... I mean, I don't think Call of Duty plays a huge role. So I think this may help them in a metaverse world. It's not the key to the metaverse. Um, Microsoft has been dealing with sexual harassment, sexual misconduct issues. A lot of them date back to Bill Gates and, uh, and, and his stewardship of the company. Um, Activision has much more recent issues. They're really under a, a real cloud. And there was a real question about whether its current CEO, Bobby Kotick, could survive. How much of... of, of when Microsoft, which is very concerned about its image, which is very concerned about all this stuff, and it's also concerned about its image, how much is picking up a company that has, uh, I'm trying to pick the right words to this, but, you know, is damaged at least reputationally and maybe structurally way on a company like that? It's super interesting. I think this was probably what spurred the deal in the first place mm -hmm. was Activision needed an answer to this big problem. There's certainly been reporting along those lines that the discussions sort of started with Microsoft kind of worried about the impact it might have on its Xbox business, just the fact that one of its biggest partners was having all this. Um, but I think it was probably also the thing that gave, you know, directors and executives some pause of, you know, are we, are we picking at a wound that we're trying to heal? Um, and I think that's no coincidence that Satya put out this blog post uh, last week kind of talking about rededicating themselves to a, a better environment. I think it is going to be a big issue. I think for Activision, certainly they probably needed a soft landing. Like there wasn't a clear way out. Um, had they gone on the acquisition spree they talked about, that wouldn't have solved any of their problems. Um, it gives a graceful way for their CEO to not step down immediately. Like, yeah. on the one hand, you know, gotten definite indications from Microsoft sources. They have no intention of keeping him around post-deal yeah. close. But this deal won't close for a year or so at, at best. So he kind of has more job security now in some ways, at least for the next year, than he did before the deal. Yeah, it's, it's a good... It's Well, I'm gonna, I don't want to be flip about this. But yeah, he... There's no way he's staying on, no matter what they say, because the guy who runs the public company now is not going to report to a guy who then reports to the CEO. It's not going to work that yeah. way. Plus, I'm sure they don't want him. But um, if I had to make you bet right now, and sports betting is legal in New York, <laughs> um, do you think this deal closes? And if so, how long does it take? I think it will take a long time. And I do suspect it will close. I'm terrible. Disclaimer to all the audience. I'm a terrible, uh, other than being decent at blackjack, I'm terrible at picking stocks, which is why I'm ha glad to be prevented from buying stocks. It uh, keeps me from making bad uh, investments. So, um, But just my sense is that, you know, the antitrust things, you know, even if regulators have some issues with this, I think they're going to look at it and say, we have limited resources. This is what I wrote about today. We've got to pick a worldview. We've got to pick our battles. And I don't think this is the one that they're going to challenge. But, you know, you never know. And they might see it as, you know, an easier battle to pick than some of the others that they're trying to fight. They haven't been super successful going at the hardest targets. You know, they've had to refile some of these cases yeah. because they've been thrown out. They're just getting going on Facebook. Then again, to be fair, the well, I don't want to. I want to get into the details, but yeah, they, these all these things move incredibly slowly. Um, but we will see. How's that for a pat way to to end a really interesting interview? Ina, you're great. Thank you for coming on. Happy anytime. Great to chat. Thanks again to Ina. In a minute, we're going to hear from Chris Grant from Vox Media. But first, a word from a sponsor. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I'm here with Chris Grant, who is the SVP at Vox Media. Um, he was the former editor and founder of Polygon, our excellent gaming site. And he's here to talk to us about the biggest gaming news in ever? Years? How long? Were you surprised to see Microsoft buying Activision, Chris? I was surprised, um, I would say, in a long enough context a few months ago. Very surprising the current climate that Activision's in today, I think it, it was much less surprising. Uh, we can get to all that background, but yeah. So and before we get into the mechanics of the deal and what it means for both companies, let's just level set on gaming. You are a gaming enthusiast, you know, the industry in and out. A bunch of people listen to this podcast, understand that gaming is a big deal. Uh, they may have heard that it's as big as the movie and TV market, but can you put, add some context to that? Uh, how big is it? How fast is it growing? And, and why... If you're not a game enthusiast, why does it matter? What is the why does the industry matter? I think gaming is interesting. It's it's um, you'll hear a lot of people say it's been bigger than Hollywood. They've been saying that for over a decade. I think that's a bit misleading. Games cost more than a ticket to the theater. A lot of the economics of Hollywood are not as easily found. Um, but gaming is certainly this massive global entertainment platform that hasn't had the same visibility that you would see for TV and movies. It doesn't have the same celebrity culture. And so in a lot of cases, it has been under-reported on. The mainstream media doesn't cover it in the same way. You know, I, I oftentimes, before this acquisition, I would point to Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda for $8 billion. It barely got a blip in the mm -hmm. business trades. That was not a big story despite it being an enormous acquisition. Um, why? Because Microsoft buying the company that made Skyrim didn't resonate with a business audience. What's Skyrim? Um, the answer for gaming is that the audience is huge. Microsoft, I think, is projecting 50% growth in the audience. Uh, they, they had this in their press release between now and 2030, next five years, right? Like just massive growth. We see it in our audience on the site. You see it across different services. You see it in the investments that people are making. You see it in time spent, um, especially for younger people. Yep. And I'll even flag like younger people. I think younger people at this point, in the same way that we talk about I don't know, millennials as being like younger people, those younger people now are some, a lot of them are in their 30s. Right. They've grown up with gaming all their lives. And to be clear, when we're talking about gaming, we often think about a dude with a headset playing Call of Duty or a kid with a headset playing Fortnite. But it does involve you or your mom or your dad standing in line at the bank playing Candy Crush or some mobile game. And that's a big driver as well. So it's 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 a huge it's a huge group of people, but it's not a monolith. It's a bunch of different things going on. Yeah, you're looking at, you know, again, this Microsoft statistic that they shared, 3 billion current gamers, up to 4.5 billion. There's a lot of statistics, and depending on how you define a gamer, but part of the reality is that the audience is not monolithic. You don't have to be a hardcore Call of Duty player to be a gamer anymore. Maybe you do play Candy Crush, which is also part of the Activision Blizzard portfolio, which is also part of this acquisition. That's a huge game, right? You, you play Wordle and you're mm -hmm. obsessed with Wordle every morning and you, and you tweet your score graphic. Are you a gamer or not? Um, you play World of Warcraft, but you play it socially. You hang out with your friends. You really like the kind of social components of a game like that. And sometimes you do a raid. Are you a gamer? Like there's a lot of ways to define somebody's participation in that pastime uh, that I think has been, has, has minimized how many people do play games every single day um, without maybe defining themselves culturally that way. And I've been watching sort of on the corporate media side, sort of 
big entertainment conglomerates waking up to the idea that games are important. They should be involved in it in some way. And they have on and off. Viacom used to have a gaming business. They used to own a yep. Guitar Hero and they sort of ran that into the ground. Uh, Warner Media was going to sell off its game business uh, the last couple of years and decided to keep uh, keep it. But um, both, both from sort of like big corporate entities and also venture capitalists throwing tons of money at, at a game a guy from Stanford made basically in his dorm room that doesn't have many players is valued at a billion dollars. What is spurring that interest? Is it do people Are people seeing something unlock or there's just growth there and there's less growth in other areas or all of the above? I think it's growth. I think it's time spent. I think it's technology flattening a lot of our access to these things. I think this is exactly where Microsoft sees some of its acquisition, which we can talk about. But I don't know, if you look at um, your point about Warner keeping its video game business, and they have some very good development teams underneath that umbrella, it's different than the skill set that they bring to television and movie production. And so it's hard for sometimes these traditional media and entertainment companies to make sense of how they get and participate in gaming. Why is it companies like Sony, a company that was known for the Walkman, um, and now the PlayStation is the biggest brand. Why is it Microsoft, the company that makes Office? Um, Nintendo, a toy company that makes video games. Like It's been harder for traditional media companies to break into a new form of media and entertainment, in part because of how it's organized and operated, the cost and the technical expertise needed to make it, the distribution and the sort of audience relationship that you have with that audience. It's different than the relationship you have with a TV consumer or film consumer. Disney famously made a big push for game development 10 years ago or so, and they dismantled yep. that entire business and turned it away. And now they license out those IPs um, to EA or Ubisoft now. Um, they de-risk a lot of that business and let somebody else hold that risk. We're good at making TV shows. We're good at, we we, we know how to make iconic characters. We're going to keep doing that. You guys go make games. That's traditionally yep. sort of been the, the thinking. Yep. I think, you know, for them, maybe that's a good business, right? I think the game quality has been, some exceptions, pretty good. Um, I think for uh, Microsoft, what they increasingly see is this opportunity of this IP, right? And a lot of the acquisition here, you're looking at IP, you're looking at not just the games, but the brands and then the audiences around it. Um, and it's not dissimilar from the sort of overall consolidation trend in media where these companies are just gobbling up IP, they're gobbling up brands, they're looking for time and they want to get it one way or another. You know, I think about Microsoft and Reed Hastings saying consistently for years now that their biggest competition, it's not HBO and it's not Disney, it's Fortnite. It's the thing that a big part of their audience spends more time on. At the end of the day, like, I don't know, I think that if you're galaxy-brained enough about this stuff and you're looking at how many humans are on Earth and how much they could possibly spend, and if it's attention that you're after, only so much time in a day, and you're going to start thinking about where do people spend their time in a really compelling alternative to... TV and movies is gaming. So I'm going to ask you about Microsoft and what they're going to do with Activision. But I also talked to Ina Freed, who's a Microsoft expert. So I'm hoping to spend a little bit of time talking about um, Activision, which I think people had heard of. And maybe they'd heard of Bobby Kotick. And maybe they heard he got paid like, what, $240 million? Or was it $140 million? It was whatever. He was the second highest paid uh, executive in 2020. But they don't really know what the company is. Um, why is, why up until, well, they still are because they haven't been sold what is Activision Blizzard? How did it get so big and how important is it to the industry? Some background here on Activision Blizzard. Activision, for the old people in the house, it's me. Um, it's a storied gaming brand. Made Atari from the games. early days of Atari, yeah. right? Like Pitfall, mm -hmm. one of the first blockbuster games Activision property. That was not the company that Bobby Kotick ran. Bobby Kotick bought Activision at a fire sale, got rid of a lot of the executive team that ran it in the early 90s and grew it from sort of like you know, faded glory old company into this giant uh, entertainment business. You know, the, the first game that they relaunched the company with was Return to Zork, a full <laughs> motion video version of the famous and one of the very first video games, Text Adventure Zork, that was owned by Activision. Um, from there... You know, they, they made Guitar Hero with Harmonix. They own that brand. Harmonix went somewhere else. They continue to make these games. They made uh, Call of Duty um, and grew that into this giant sort of annual franchise now, consistently one of the biggest games in the world, if not the biggest. Um, eventually, they purchased uh, Blizzard Entertainment. Blizzard Entertainment, another 
legacy storied video game developer responsible for some of the biggest PC gaming hits of all time. Um, and so Activision kind of very methodically grew this giant business directly in the gaming space with its own IP. Um, they do a lot of, they did a, certainly in the past more licensed games, but they used to hold a lot of licenses for everything from Transformers to um, some Marvel games. But they became this sort of juggernaut, right? And they were up there with EA. Um, and they developed a reputation for being pretty cutthroat. Um, that was both the way they did business, um, and it was both the way that they treated the audience. The sort of annualized release schedule, there was lots of feelings of being nickel and dimed. You hear the same. Here's our new new, new version of the game. It's exactly like last year's game, but you got to buy it, or we're going to try to con you into buying it. Yeah, that was the EA Sports model, right? Every day, mm-hmm. the, the so-called roster update. I think you know Activision was doing something a little bit different. You could maybe get closer to that with the Guitar Hero model, which ended up collapsing. Right, they don't make Guitar Hero games anymore. Um, on the other side of the house, that was Blizzard. Blizzard releases games few and far between. A Blizzard release is a rarity, and they support it forever. They support it for a very long time. Right, they released a patch famously for a game that's ten years old um, or older. Um, Blizzard is gotten trouble recently um, they've gotten into big trouble very recently but in terms of their quality like there were some feelings that they had lost their way whether or not that was activision's fault or blizzard's fault or whomever but all of which is to say is that activision blizzard um has been around for a very long time they have grown into an absolute juggernaut and they have this very healthy business um part of which makes this acquisition and they have a healthy business in an industry that is growing that I think we see a lot of growth in long term. They're they're kind of King Kong, at least in the U.S. in in gaming, right? Um, yep. Gaming is more important than ever in them and EA. They're as valuable as they ever could be or they should be. Um, why are they selling? This seems like they should be only they should be staying independent and only uh, only increasing in value. The big uh, underlying uh, elephant in the room is. A series of lawsuits, state of California on down, about sexual harassment, gender discrimination, specifically in their Blizzard division. Um, that has absolutely thrown the company into tumult. There have been high-profile um, fires. There has been a huge reckoning and a labor reckoning inside of Activision Blizzard. There's um, organization happening, labor organization Um which, you know, the video game industry is is not a unionized industry. Uh, and you start to see pressures towards that with groups like Better ABK advocating for workers' rights inside of Activision Blizzard. And so you have all these ma- major pressures, including these major lawsuits, and a real sense from the reporting and from the sort of um, testimony of folks inside of wrongdoing. Um, there's a lot of pressure for Bobby Kotick to resign or for the board to oust him. To be deeply cynical for a second, there are lots of industries, there are lots of companies that have all kinds of systemic problems um, that have been surfaced, especially in the last few years. Generally, uh, what happens is if the company continues to mint money, everyone says, great, and, and you know things should change, but really nothing needs to change and the company continues as is, or maybe there's some public apologies. They're not sort of fundamentally wounded. There's nothing, you don't see consumers not buying Activision games because of California uh, lawsuits. So wh- why was the company weakened then? To be clear, I don't know if it would affect their sales, right? Mm-hmm. Too early to say, hard to see. Um, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Certainly from press standpoint i think they there was already a narrative that activision was a cutthroat company uh there already was a narrative that blizzard had maybe lost its way there was already major high profile game delays like overwatch 2 and so in some cases there already was some injury here that maybe this exacerbated but i think also the audience um people have very impactful real relationships with these games and these properties specifically on the blizzard side Everything from World of Warcraft to Overwatch to Diablo. These are games that are part of people's identity. These are games that have huge communities that engage and play them today. Um, The idea that the people making these games were behaving in this way, the idea that the company that makes these games was putting its employees into situations like this, I think 
a lot of that audience, which can be very vocal, found just intensely, immensely unacceptable. So I think some of the backlash you're seeing is a byproduct of how passionate people are about these games um, and, and the disconnect between how they feel about those experiences and then the company making them. Uh, whether or not that would have ever resulted in the board ousting Kodak, who knows? And now, with an exit, seems very unlikely. Um, no, he'll stay there for like the he, year during the transition, and then he's supposed to be CEO of the company reporting when no one believes that to be the case. He'll, he'll leave when the so deal is done. So what they said is that he would be CEO of the company for this period, and then when the deal is done, the Activision Blizzard properties will report directly to Phil Spencer, CEO of Microsoft Gaming. They did not say Bobby Kotick would, and it was later reported that um, sources say mm -hmm. that Bobby would leave uh, when a seal is when a deal is closed. I mean, to me, the reading here is that some of the other reporting was that Microsoft approached them after this news happened. There was a leaked memo from Phil Spencer where he said they would be reevaluating all aspects of their relationship with Activision Blizzard. And I think the funny, I think we read that to mean maybe we don't list their games anymore, or promote them, or certain you know, and not not we're going to pay seventy billion dollars for them. Yeah. Not so we're going to reevaluate whether we own them or not. So let's the, let's talk relationship. So if the deal goes through, and we, I've already speculated with Ina about antitrust issues, and we can talk about that in a second as well. If the deal goes through, what what is Microsoft getting with this? I mean, we just we just explained they're a giant video game company with lots of important assets. What are they getting that they couldn't buy or build other uh, some other way? And then what do they do with the asset? Biggest thing they're getting uh, are the you know. There's the work, the material, the library. I don't want to undervalue the library, and we can talk about why I think that library is going to be increasingly important for gaming going forward. But they get the IP. They get Call of Duty, not only the Call of Duties that exist, but the Call of Duties that will exist. They get the same model as buying uh, uh, Amazon, buying MGM, because you're getting half yep. of James Bond plus Pink Panther and Rocky, and those things exist today, and plus you can turn them into new things in the future. And you make new things with them, yep. So all of that makes sense for Microsoft going forward. These are huge blockbuster businesses, right? They have enormous subscription revenue coming from World of Warcraft, et cetera. Like, these things matter. They have burgeoning esports. Both Activision Blizzard owns MLG, Major League Gaming. They also own Call of Duty, which is one of the most popular professional esports games. They also own Overwatch, uh, and in turn, the Overwatch League, Overwatch 2 is still in development. So if there's going to be professional esports, if that is a thing that ever takes off, really fully truly um microsoft now owns a huge chunk of what that might be more importantly they own a whole library of games and developers studios um that make the games they have a library uh if this deal goes through of some really storied developers including obviously blizzard um all of which go into creating content for microsoft's subscription bundle game pass and microsoft increasingly sees the future of video game in some ways, I would say not just consumption, but development as a gateway into a subscription model like Game Pass, where it doesn't matter if you have an Xbox, it doesn't matter if you have an Xbox One where you can stream it to, or a Series S or X, depending on the resolution of your TV, or an Android phone, or, or a PC. an iPhone, or a browser, or a PC, or you know, soon to be, they're going to make a streaming stick, right? Like They want you to be able to play these games on almost any device that you're connected to and so what really matters is, do they have the games that you want? Is that enough to get you to subscribe to their service? They have 25 million subscribers now, uh, paying somewhere between 10 and $15 a month. Um, that's an enormous basis to be growing off of. That's before they bring in an Activision Blizzard so, library. So in a streaming world, we've gotten, but not in music, but in video and TV, we've gotten conditioned to, all right, Netflix has these shows, HBO has this show, they're separate services, you have to pay for each one. If you want it, you can tap in and tap out. I know that in the console days, there have been some exclusives that matter to some gamers. I think Sony has more of them. I always hear about Spider-Man. Microsoft really only had one for the Xbox, it's Halo. In a, if we move to a streaming world, is the expectation that you're going to want to get Game Pass because they have all of the games? Or f how do you balance that with Call of Duty, which I assume they want to have open to as many platforms as possible because it's a giant game and you don't want to cut off half your revenue? So how do they how do they work through that? Here's what... I mean, it's a good question. Microsoft is also... They also own Minecraft. 
Mm-hmm. Minecraft is on PlayStation. It's on Switch. It's on computer. It's on Xbox. It's everywhere. It's on Android. Um, so they're not averse to publishing their games for the widest possible audience. But they also recently bought Bethesda. Bethesda makes some of the biggest hit games in the world. And they've been very clear that the next game from Bethesda, Starfield, comes out this year, is an Xbox exclusive. Right? That game would have been an enormous multi-platform hit. But it's now going to be an Xbox exclusive. They're honoring their contractual obligation to release games for Sony platforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deathloop came out this uh, last year for PlayStation 5. It's not on Xbox yet. Even though it's now a Microsoft game, they had an obligation. There's another one uh, coming out from uh, their Japanese studio, Tango. Um which they'll, they'll honor again. But going forward, all those games from Bethesda, including games from id Software, like Doom, um, the Wolfenstein franchise, those will all be Xbox, or I should say Microsoft exclusive. So that'll include Game Pass and other streaming opportunities. Um, they have not said whether or not with Activision yet. It stands to reason that they would want the biggest possible audience for Call of Duty. But on the other hand, if the economics are play it on your phone, play it on your TV, play it on your whatever else. I'm sure they would be totally fine if they could put a Game Pass app on your PlayStation. I don't think Sony would allow it, but um, they just want you to get their service. Um, So I don't, I'm not convinced that they're going to release it cross-platform, but that's going to be one of the big questions we're all waiting to see. And Xbox was not a huge out-of-the-box success for Microsoft, over the years, there's even an open question about whether Microsoft would keep at it. They sort of were always second place to Sony for the most part. It's well known. A lot of people know about it, but it's not a category killer. Um, why do you, this is the biggest deal Microsoft has ever done. Why do you think a game business, which up until now has really just been sort of a leftover part of their business, is now the biggest acquisition in their history? What does that tell us? I think some cases it tells us about it's a commitment from Microsoft into the audience, right? It's them acknowledging that this is a huge business that they see a future in. Um, I don't want to undervalue that. My point again about like, there's been a historical, um, I don't know, a, not a confusion, but a but a um, hesitancy to recognize the size of gaming uh, from a corporate standpoint. You know, I think we saw some of this with the Epic Apple lawsuit, right? This gaming company taking Apple on head to head. Um, that gaming is way bigger than people think it is. Uh, and this is Microsoft basically agreeing. I think that there's, we'll talk about metaverse stuff, but Xbox was Microsoft's gambit to be in the living room right? 20 years ago. This is when you were going to have a device in your living room and everything was going to go through it. And this was Microsoft's idea. That was kind of goofy that that would be a game console first and then something else later. It turns out that they did, accidentally in a way, maybe, they just made a good game platform. Xbox 360 came out a year before the PlayStation 3. Sony had a lot of problems. The 360 was a, really defined a whole generation of gaming that Sony had to play catch up to. In the Xbox One, they lost all of that goodwill and all of that head start. Um, The PlayStation 4 trounced the Xbox One. And Microsoft found itself really licking its wounds, rethinking its entire relationship to gaming and it was uh, the sort of ascension of Phil Spencer into this role of running gaming at, at Microsoft, um, where he has reinvented what Xbox means in part by being really focused on the games. This is not an entertainment play. This is not a technology play. This is not a um, a, a sort of um, even a console wars play. This is just a games play. They want to have a lot of games, they want to have a lot of people, they want to make them available. Something simple like working on backwards compatibility of Xbox and Xbox 360 games. So you can play your old games, even your discs, on your current console, right? Like a sort of um, recognition that the games matter to people, that their library of games might matter to them, that the history of gaming matters. That's not a thing that games industry executives have ever talked about. And here you have the guy running the platform talking about games in a way that's very deferential. Very celebratory. What do we make of that? That's a current, their current business is games. They take games seriously. They're buying a giant game company. And then in their press release and in Satya Nadella's comments, he's talking about the metaverse, which is a thing that does not exist, may not exist. Do you think they seriously think this is sort of their key to opening the metaverse? Or is this something you put in a press release? I absolutely think it's just a press release nonsense. I mean, there's a couple of reasons why. I mean, you talk about the acquisitions thing. Why this? Why gaming? They failed on Discord. 
They didn't get it. They failed on TikTok. They didn't get it. I don't think this was Microsoft's first choice for a huge acquisition, right? Like I think um, they've they've whiffed out, but the opportunity was here thanks to these lawsuits and thanks to the sort of weakened position of Activision. Big asset. It's on sale. Uh, maybe yeah. they're bought the sellers now and they weren't on sellers before. Let's do it. And so um, some of it's that, but some of it is that there is this larger narrative right now. They have to make a case to their investors on why this, why a $70 billion gaming acquisition. I think Microsoft believes the economics makes sense, but to their investors, their shareholders. And so you toss in the metaverse language, which I think it's credit where credit's due. Zuckerberg manufacturing uh, a term in a way that now the entire industry and mainstream media have just immediately gotten into lockstep and created this ecosystem where it shows up in a press release. So the New York Times mentions it. So it's in another press release. Like it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, it's not real. And, and here's one good example, Wayne. The metaverse already exists. It exists across games all over the place. It existed in Second Life 15 years ago. In a way, Second Life was and still is doing things that we still aren't envisioning for the current metaverse. Um, and it did it in the mid-aughts. Uh, Microsoft already publishes and owns and is an actually actually a very responsible steward of one of the biggest metaverses in the world, Minecraft. They've owned that for seven years now. They don't talk about the metaverse. All they're doing is busy making a metaverse and servicing a metaverse and shepherding and stewarding a metaverse, making it safe for children to be in. Um, Microsoft is a good steward of that. Why have they not been talking about it? And the answer is it wasn't real. It wasn't a thing that they had to talk about. The New York Times said that uh, in a very embarrassing bit um, that their purchase of Activision Blizzard would help them compete in virtual reality with mm -hmm. Oculus. And it's a misfire for a bunch of reasons. One, the size of the Oculus business or the VR headset and VR game business for Facebook compared to the size of Xbox. Right? Like Microsoft has no virtual reality products. They have HoloLens from a different part of the company. Um, but I will say this for the metaverse. If this is the place in their portfolio where they want to talk about the metaverse and say this is their metaverse play, the fact that it's Call of Duty or it's World of Warcraft and it's not Teams and it's not HoloLens, that to me is the actual underlying message here. This is Microsoft saying, in so much as a metaverse is a thing, it's Minecraft and it's World of Warcraft and it's major league gaming and it's et cetera, et cetera. And it's not Microsoft Teams. You're not having legless office meetings with your HoloLens. We're on. not trying to convince you that that doing a virtual meeting with virtual Mark Zuckerberg is something you want to do or should do. But if you're playing games, you probably you're, you're you may have doing that. You may have a thing on your head already. You may even yeah. want to wear goggles. So fine, have at it. Maybe. You know, I think the the Minecraft, you know. You asked before about what does gaming mean for people? And I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand, but gaming increasingly is a social activity for people. And so when you talk to younger folks, again, I would put younger folks as even like early 30s, gaming is where you go to talk to your friends, to hang out. You talk to kids that are in high school, certainly. These are social spaces. These are playgrounds. What is Fortnite, if not a playground, where you talk to your friends about, you know, whatever's going on at school, while also building stuff and blowing each other up. It is wild. That's exactly what I, Minecraft I, is I been. still play Fortnite, and I play it with some grown-ups, and we talk about social things and work stuff. And also, if you play randomly, a six-year-old will come on and start talking at you unless you've turned your microphone off. And their expectation is that they will talk to strangers there. Not in a creepy way. It's just what they will do. They're just having a social interaction while they're shooting people in, in funny costumes. This is like one of the things about what the metaverse is and how people do or don't understand it and what that even what does it mean to be a metaverse is there a metaverse or metaverses right do you does your fortnite relationship carry over to your whatever um and i think the answer is who knows but the point being is that people are already spending social time in virtual spaces uh they're doing it a lot they're doing it way more than people might expect is that the metaverse and if it's not, why isn't it? And so I do think that there is something here with what Microsoft's saying that has nothing to do with virtual reality. It has nothing to do with Web3, right? This is just them saying social virtual spaces exist today. They're video games. This is an additional investment in that space. 
you are a gamer, you love games, you take it very seriously. Is this good for gaming? Is it bad for gaming? Is it neutral? I'll say this. I, I don't love the idea that the executive layer at Activision um, just orchestrated a payday. Uh, will they continue to run the team? Hopefully they continue. They had a bunch of exits, uh, they've said recently. Hopefully they continue to sort of clean house and clean up the mess that they've presided over for the last decade plus. Um, but at the end of all of it, they get a big payday. Microsoft doesn't bring them into the new company. Um, and Microsoft moves on. And like, is that a good or bad? I don't know. I have a hard time. For, I, it's certainly a bad sense in terms of the payday, but... Is it better for the people that work there to have an employer that's at least going to be better than them to have some closure there? Hard to say. I think from a gaming standpoint, this gets into some of the antitrust question, right? Is it vertical or horizontal integration? And are they going to see this as anti-competitive or is it not? I do think that there's something worrisome about a single corporate entity owning this much um and organizing it in this way. And is it anti-competitive if, you know, it's one subscription and they're going to put it on lots of stuff? I don't think so. Like exclusives have not been thought to be monopolistic before. There's plenty of exclusives. And if you have a PlayStation, you're happy and thrilled for your exclusives, just not the other guys. Um, all that said, the amount of IP and legacy IP that they are now stacking into this one product, Game Pass, does it make it a really interesting product you know, as like a consumer? Sure, yeah. I think that you look at knowing the history of Xbox and Xbox gaming, all the Halo games, etc. But you look at everything they got from not only Bethesda, but id Software, Doom, the entire Doom franchise history back in the 90s. You have Wolfenstein, etc. Now you go to Activision, and Activision goes all the way back to Pitfall or Zork or all those FMV games in the 90s or Call of Duty and Spyro and Crash Bandicoot and World of Warcraft and so on and so forth. It is an enormous library. And when you think about Netflix, right, and Game Pass in so much as it's the Netflix of games, you have this idea that maybe all this stuff is on demand. How do you preserve the history and legacy of games? I think that's all a net positive. If there's a world in which my bank Game Pass subscription lets me fire up Return to Zork and experience the cheesy... 90s video um, and puzzles. That's neat to me. I think that I'm excited by the idea that that could happen. But then I also worry about what happens in the future when um, there's less competition, when all that history is owned by one company. What happens if I do think that there is real value and values in part of on the part of the Microsoft gaming leadership? What happens if the next group that runs that team doesn't share those values? Um, it's risky, and, and I think in general, this is true across all media consolidation. I don't see where it's going to. Everything is going to <laughs> consolidate further and further. There will right. be no more independent players. And in media, then, one thing that the executives will tell you when you're not recording them is they are spending a ton of money right now. They have to compete ferociously for every project. They also expect that at some point there aren't going to be 10 streaming services. There'll be four or five or three or four. And the and the the costs will rationalize the euphemism, meaning they're not going to have to compete with five other people for a project. And maybe everything gets divvied up and maybe they're really eventually spending less. And it's less competitive for, um, for the people who are able right now to... to charge any price they want for a new TV show. Um, do you imagine that there's a, that the thinking is like that in gaming as well, that at some point consolidation will allow us to save money? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that at some point it, the cost of gaming is not high. Is part of, I think the thing like that's, you know, Fortnite is a free to play game. Depending on how much cosmetics you play, you can play a hundred hours of it a week. Depending on what you play, it doesn't have to be that expensive. And as a cost per hour of entertainment time, this is where Netflix looks at it, right? Like, this is a, this is really competitive. Um, I do wonder who else gets in the space, who else competes. Your point about a bunch of media companies divesting, but what about Netflix? Netflix, if I load up my Android phone now, the second tab on the bottom of the Netflix app is games. What's to stop them from similar to Game Pass or Xbox Cloud Gaming streaming yeah. a game to me, uh, not just you know running it locally on my Android phone, but actually like 
running a AAA game and and you know licensing whatever Ubisoft's games, running them on a server farm somewhere and streaming that gameplay to me. Netflix could do that. They're a, they're a BD deal away from having AAA games on their service. You know, there's some technical things as well, but they have a lot of streaming infrastructure. Amazon is trying really really hard to get into this. They finally have released a game that is most kind of mostly a hit. Um, they have burnt billions of dollars to no effect in games for years, which is also very telling when you see Amazon incredibly competent at many things not be able to break into gaming. They have canceled so many games. And finally, with New World, a giant MMO that they've worked on for years, they finally have a hit game. And uh, they have Twitch. They have all these ways to reach and market to gamers. They have a big gaming store in Amazon. But they have Luna, the streaming game service, which has just so far failed to make a blip. Um, you still have Nintendo. Nintendo is enormous and shouldn't be under um, counted, even though Nintendo is a very almost provincial company, right? They make games that you play in a system, and it's pretty straightforward. They are not quote unquote very online you play nintendo Um, games on a nintendo device that's what you do that's what you do and they sell a whole bunch of nintendo devices they have a very healthy business and um then there's sony sony is sort of the the leader in the space still and so i think from microsoft's point of view from a competitive standpoint microsoft does not see itself as the despite the size of their market cap and their buying power they don't see themselves as the leader in this space that's clearly sony or Tencent, if you really want to go one step even further out. Um, and so I think they do still see themselves as an underdog. And I think that that underdog mentality is really a part of that, of the Microsoft gaming brand. Microsoft, the plucky underdog. It's great. Yeah, no, plucky. It's always been that, that way. Um, but sort of clawing their way in. That's true. I mean, they just released this whole documentary about the Xbox. Um, and a lot of that narrative is like, a group inside Microsoft making a thing and everyone at Microsoft saying, why are we making video games? What's wrong with you? We make Windows and Office. So I think part of their identity is being this plucky underdog. And even though now they're in this sort of, you know, enviable position um, and spending that cash um, and having a product that people really care about. I mean, to be clear, Game Pass is a very popular product. 25 million subscribers, they said. It's incredible. So, um, but I think the, you know, in some cases also, Somebody wrote this in our Slack and I thought it was funny, but also telling part of the metaverse play in a way is also that this is additional investment in Microsoft buying games and studios to make a subscription product work so that your idea of digital ownership becomes a rental, just like Netflix, right? Like gaming is still a thing that you own. You own your games, you own your Steam games, you own your Switch games. And at the end of the timeline for Game Pass, the idea is that you don't own those games anymore. You have a rental arrangement, a rental agreement with a streaming service provider. Um, and that's maybe, you know, obviously similar to a place like Fortnite. You don't own Fortnite either. You just play it. Just and, play um, it for free. And that is kind of in a way the metaverse. That's what we're thinking about. Right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a space we socialize and hang out in, but we don't really own it. Chris, we're going to, this deal will take a year plus to go through. So I bet we're going to talk again for now. One last question. What is your favorite game you're playing right now? Right now I'm playing like three different games. I'm doing the campaign for Halo Infinite, which is good. I'm just going to go ahead and say Doom Eternal. I'm still working my way through the DLC. It's very violent, and I've been stuck at home with my kids for two years, so I don't get that much time to go and chainsaw demons in half, but it's on Xbox Game Pass. It's owned. It's a Microsoft Game Studio uh, division. It's software, but the uh, the Doom games are all-time faves of mine. Uh, Absolutely excellent and highly recommend. There you go. Go slice a demon in half, Chris Grant from Vox Media. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks again to Chris and Ina and Jelani and Travis who edit and produce this show. Thanks to our sponsors who let us bring you this show for free. And most of all, thanks to you guys. I hope you like this one. I hope you like all of them. I think we're doing well. Um, But you tell me. Let me know how we're doing. Let me know who else you want to hear me talk to. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.